Just kidding. Uh, John chapter number 6, where we're going in our Bibles. If you are a member of Freedom, uh, we want to remind you and encourage you to, uh, that you can give uh, electronically. You can give at the connection, uh, uh, at the giving kiosk there in the lobby. There are lots of ways. We'll take, we take the money any way that it comes. Um, and so we appreciate your continual support of Freedom. John chapter number 6, beginning at verse number 2. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible. It says, Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which, which he performed on those who were diseased. And, then, and Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them might have a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. It's a pretty big crowd, slightly more than we have here today. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them and to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise, the fish, I love this now, it says, as much as they wanted. I believe that's what happens when you get in the presence of God. You get as much as you want. Man, if you, if you came here wanting a touch from God, I believe you can get as much of Him as you want. And the problem, of course, we... We oftentimes have encounters with Jesus and we leave the same way we came. But it's not really a matter of God's power. It's a matter of our own appetite. I I want everything that He can give me today. How about you? And so then it says, and they were filled. And so when they were filled, He said to His disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. I want to preach to you today for just a couple minutes on this thought. When it doesn't add up. When it doesn't add up. I I feel the presence of the Lord here today. I believe that God wants to encourage somebody. But before you're seated, why don't you just close your eyes and ask God to speak to us through His Word. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence, for your power that we feel here in this place. We are grateful for it today, for your abundant blessing, for your provision and your protection, God. We, We celebrate and we worship you for all that you have done for us. I pray that you would challenge and speak to every heart today. In Jesus' name, everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. It's the feeding of the 5,000 men, plus women and children. It's my favorite miracle in the Bible. I think food and miracles are a pretty good combination. I love Jesus. I love food. Put them together. 
and now it's a party. It's the only miracle, it's fascinating to me, but it's the only miracle that all four gospel writers share. While each of them share the resurrection of Jesus, outside of that, it's the only one that the Spirit would move upon His writers as they penned the Word of God to have each of them share. And so it begins by telling us that this great multitude who had followed Him for a myriad of reasons, that, that, that Jesus saw them and recognized that there was a common need among all of them. They were hungry. And we all have different needs in our lives, but if we hold you here long enough, we will all have a common need. It is hunger. And so it was on this day. So the Bible says that Jesus, here in John chapter number 6, He goes to Philip, one of the lesser known of the disciples, and He asks Philip a question. Where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? We don't know exactly why for sure He targets Philip in this question. We, you only find a couple conversations that Jesus ever has with Philip in the Gospels. When he asked Philip to follow him, when Philip asked uh, to show him the Father and it would suffice him. Outside of that, this is the only other Gospel account where we find a conversation between him and Philip. And here he asks Philip, where around here can we buy bread that these may eat? But what we do know about Philip is that he was from this city, Bethsaida. Bethsaida was his hometown and it was near Bethsaida where this miracle that is about to unfold happens. So Philip, notice this now, is in a familiar place. And it is as though Jesus is asking him if he has an answer for the problem based on his past experiences. Where is there around here that's good to eat? You've been around a while. You're familiar with the environment. It's not new territory or surroundings to you. Where should we buy bread that these may eat? Where, Philip, is the supply to meet the need based on what you know, based on what you've experienced, based on the surroundings that you are familiar with, where is the supply to our need? But the problem is today that many of us do what Jesus was asking Philip to do. Now we know that he already knew what he was going to do, but before he ever gives any real idea of how the miracle is going to transpire, he first brings Philip to this place where he asks him if his knowledge of the past or if his familiarity with the present place that they were in gave any clue as to what Jesus would do. The problem is too many times we are trying to find the answers in a where instead of a who. Jesus knew what He would do. Jesus already knew. 
And yet we get discouraged because you know that there's nowhere that has the answer. That you've looked everywhere that you thought hope might be found or that you thought joy might be found, that you thought the answer may be found and you find yourself still lacking and still wondering. Your past experiences tell you that the place doesn't exist, that there is nowhere for you to go. You've walked into all kinds of places and through all kinds of doors and you know that none of them have the answer for the problem that you are facing right now. Philip does not know it yet but his answer is not in a where but it is in a who and I want to just preach to somebody for a few moments today and tell you that the answer for your life is not tied to a where and it is not tied to a what it is tied to a who it is in him that we live that we move and have our being as long as you are looking at work for the answer you will be empty as long long as you are looking to your past experiences for the answer you will come up short you will be finding yourself into this place where things don't add up too many people are looking for places that will satisfy when Jesus is the only one that can satisfy most of us if we were to be honest today we would all have to admit that we have tried a lot of things and we have went a lot of places looking for the thing that would answer the question or satisfy the longing that would that would that would quench the, the fleshly desire in us that would that, that would do the thing that we are looking for yet all of us who have tried all of those places would have to admit that our answers are never in a where it's only in a who the answer isn't in your past. So we got to stop trying to live in it. The answer is not in success. So we've got to stop reaching for it. The answer is not in more stuff. So we've got to stop trying to collect it. The answer is in Him. And so we've got to know Him. And we've got to be close to Him. He say, uh, You say, I've been here a long time. I, I, I've been going through this a long time. This is where my home is. That's what Philip might say. And if we are not careful, our familiarity with our present place will hold our faith hostage. He says, I, I've been here a long time. There is nowhere. There is no place. But Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Stay with me now. I love what happens next in the text. Philip speaks up with his accountant mind and he says, 200 denarii probably wouldn't be enough to give everyone even a little. Six months' wages, he says, wouldn't be enough for everyone in this crowd to just have a snack. When the crowd is manageable, if I had to feed everyone in here today, I would hope that six months of my wages could do it. If I have to say that uh, if I took six months of what I've earned, I could only give everyone a little. You could have a little smell. You could have a little taste. Then it means either I'm incredibly broke, which is probably true, or the need is greater than my supply. That's really what Philip is saying here. 
In other words, the problem isn't just the where, but it's also the how. I don't, we don't have enough. We don't, we don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know how the answer is going to come. It's like he gets out his mental calculator or uh, uh, what, what was the thing that they used to use back in the old day where they would slide the, there you go, yes. I don't even know if I could pronounce that, but yes. It's like he got that out mentally and he began to do the math. And after just a few moments, almost impressively, he, I'm sure, hoped that Jesus would be impressed with his mental calculations. And he could do the math so quickly there. His knowledge of the market prices of, of, of bread and fish and all of those things here is astounding. But despite his knowledge, he basically concludes that he... And they cannot even give people a little. He's not even trying to fill everybody up. He's not trying to take them to brunch. He's just trying to give them a couple goldfish. And he's saying, we can't even give them a snack. What's he saying? He's saying, it doesn't add up. And here's what I know. We all come to moments like this where it doesn't add up. Where we've done the math and we've examined the possibilities. And we are left with the same conclusion. This just doesn't add up. And let me tell you what I feel in my spirit today. It is that there are people in this room even right now. That you are in this spot, this place when it doesn't add up. You're trying to find out how you can just get a little, but even that doesn't add up. You're, you're not trying to get full. You're not, you're not trying to get everything. You just want something. You just want some peace. You just want some joy. You just want some relief. You just want some sense that everything is going to be okay. You'd like just a little bit of joy, but, but even that's not adding up. You'd like to break out of the cycle that you are in, but, but it's just not adding up. You'd like for a job that would be just a little bit better, but, but it, it's not adding up. You'd like a little relief from the pressures and from the challenges but you just keep doing the math and you're like, it just doesn't add up. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? You've been there. Or you've gotten the calculator out. I found this I don't know what I was looking for even this morning and I found this calculator. It, and you come to church or you lay awake at night you're trying to do the math. You're trying to figure it all out. You're trying to work it out. You're trying to find everything that you can. I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about life here. And you're just trying to figure it all out. And you just say, I, I don't know what to do. It just doesn't add up. You, you, you get more hours and no, that didn't fix it. You get another relationship and you add the relationship there and no, that, no that, that, that still didn't fix it. You, you, you take a vacation and you get away for a while. And, oh, no, no, that still didn't fix it. You're in the place when it doesn't add up. But I've got to preach to somebody today for just a few moments and tell you a truth that you've got to embrace and believe. It is this, God's math is not your math. 
and you are trying to do addition and subtraction. And meanwhile, he's over here doing kingdom calculus that you can't even fully understand or appreciate. And i got to just preach to you today and tell you God knows what he is going to do. He knows how it's all going to add up. He already sees the beginning from the ending. And so you can put your calculator of worry down and you can just say, Lord, I trust you. You can put your worry down and say, God, I believe in you. I don't know where and I don't know how, but I know who I have believed in. And I believe that your math is not my math. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, we can ask or think. What That sounds like kingdom math to me. It's like he, he's thinking completely different. He's using different numbers. He, he, he has variables that you don't even know about. You're trying to solve problems without some of the variables. And if you took algebra, you know that if you don't know what the variable is, then you can't solve the problem. And i got to tell you, God has all of the variables. He knows what he's doing. I want to preach faith in some heart today. God's math is not your math. There are variables variables that you can't see and you can't imagine that affect the outcome in ways that will blow your mind. You're trying to figure out how to get a little. Philip's like, I don't even know how we'll give them a little. And he's like, meanwhile, he's like, oh, Philip, you only understood. I, I don't want just a little. I want leftovers. I want something pressed down running over. I want, let me tell you, God, what He's trying to do in your life, what He's trying to do in this church, what He's trying to do in this city, it's not a little revival. What He's trying to do in your family is not a little thing. He's trying to do a big thing. He's going to do something that you're going to look back and you're going to say, it must have been the Lord. He was doing math that I couldn't figure out. But the story gets a little more interesting and I won't preach for long today. When John tells the story, they each tell it, and each of them offer glimpses that others don't add in their story. But the Bible says that it's at this moment that Andrew comes up with five barley loaves and two small fish. The other gospels just call them loaves and fishes. They were kind. They were sweet. I think maybe John came from the Northeast. He's just very matter-of-fact. There's nothing kind or sweet about him. In the South, we'd say, well, they were just loaves and fishes. Bless their heart. In the Northeast, it'd be like they were ugly, they were small, they were, they were little, they were insignificant. I just got back from New York, and I didn't know so many people could yell and cuss and flip me off all in just a small span. So, the loaves, he says... These two words, barley and small, they are insignificant, but they are significant in their insignificance. Barley was a simple food. It indicated that this little boy probably came from a poor family or at least a real budget-conscious family. It's like he had the great value bread, not nature's finest. This kid didn't have Dr. Pepper. He had Dr. Thunder. Never ate Lucky Charms, this kid did. No, no, he ate Magic Treasure. Somebody who grew up on generic know what I'm talking about right now. (laughs) 
as barley loaves, great value loaves. I don't even know what, uh, what the generic of great value is, but it was probably that. It was barley. It's what they would use to feed the, to animals even. It was pretty small and insignificant. And then the fish, he calls them small. More like a garnish for the bread. In other words, it wasn't much. And Andrew says, what are they among so many? Everybody is sitting there with their pencil in hand trying to make it add up. And meanwhile, Jesus knows what he is going to do. He sees five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus says, lay them down. Say with me now, everybody know what this is here. You can see it's a, it's a Lego. Now, these are, are small Legos. Now, if you ever step on one without wearing shoes, then uh, it doesn't feel so small. But I have in my hand six small Legos. Now, if I were to ask you, and I am, so think about this. How many... Structures. What are the possibilities if you were to take six Legos and try to put them together in various possibilities? How many structures do you think you could make? What do you say? Forty? Forty? Okay, good try. Anybody else? What do you think, Omari? One? Just one structure. He's like, I'm going just with one. All the rest are wrong. How many structures? I don't want, if you know the answer, you better be quiet back there. Well, the question was first officially answered by Lego mathematicians when they arrived at the number of 102 million. But one man, a mathematician, said, I just don't know. That doesn't add up to me. So he wrote a program to model all the possible brick combinations. And after running the program for a week, he ended up with a massive number using six standard four by two Legos. You can have 915,103,765 combinations. And let me just tell somebody today, you look at your life and you look at what you have to offer, and you look at the circumstances, and you look at what you're left with, and you say, all I see are six. All I have is five loaves and two fishes. But i got to tell you, there's more than you can see. I know all you can see is how little you have, but you need to put the calculator down today, and you need to put your hands up, and you need to say, Lord, I trust that when the math doesn't add up, that there's a different calculator that you are using that when I don't have it figured out you have it figured out I'm not going to try to do the math I'm just going to take what I have and I'm going to put it in your hands and I'm going to see what you can do with it I preach to you today I don't know how it's all going to work out but God does I don't know how we're going to figure it all out but God does I don't know how we're going to reach the city but God does I don't know how your family is going to be saved but God does. I don't know what your future holds, but God does. And so just take what you have and put it in His 
hands. Come on, lift up your hands all over the house. I feel the presence of the Lord here today. Go ahead and stand to your feet. God, I give it to you today. I'm putting the calculator down. I'm putting the worry and the anxiety down. And I'm going to trust, Lord, that you are in control. My mind, it it goes to Joseph. This man, the dreamer. Joseph might say, if you find him in the middle of the story, say maybe when he was accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into the prison his second time to be in some kind of dungeon. He might say, I don't know how this is going to add up. I had a dream. I had faith. I believed that something great was going to happen with my life. I I believed that everything was going to be great. But the only math I see in my life is subtraction and division. Anybody ever been there? I don't know how things are going to add up when there is no adding. Just subtracting and division. But later, Joseph would see and would testify that God's kingdom calculus looks different than what you can see or what you can imagine. Abraham and Sarah, when they're given a promise that you're going to have a child, they, would, they might say, well, this just doesn't add up. But God's math looks different than mine. Lazarus's family might have said, now this doesn't add up. He's been in the tomb for four days. By now he stinketh. It's in, another, in, a, in my translation, it might read, this doesn't add up. But what God is doing doesn't have to make sense to you for it to be right. And I believe That in all of our lives and stories, we're going to look back and we're going to say, I didn't know how it was going to work out. I didn't know how it was all going to add up. But God's math is higher than my math. The Bible says His ways are past finding out. It might just as well read, His math is past understanding. You cannot figure it out, but it always works. And God always shows His work. All things work together. All things add up to them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. With God, five plus two. Equals 5,000 with 12 carried over. When it doesn't add up, hear me now. Trust Him. When it doesn't add up, believe Him. When it doesn't add up, just obey Him. As one Author said, don't put a period where God put a comma. 
It's not over yet. So with six Legos, I should probably throw these away when, when we're done with this so that my, it's six less Legos in my house for me to step on. You can do, you can peel over 900 million combinations. You know what I love about God? He only needs one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What was the one? Well, it wasn't anything but His Word. God only needs His Word. And so you can just trust that if all you have is God's Word, that's all He needs. You can just hold on to His Word. You don't, you don't even need six of them. You don't even need a bunch of things. Just, just let, him, let Him do what He promised He would do and just trust Him until He does it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I feel, I feel a powerful presence of the Lord here in this place. I don't know what it is in your life, the circumstance, the situation. But I know there are people in this room that you walked into here with the calculator in your hand trying to figure out how it's all going to add up. You've been losing sleep at night wondering how it's all going to add up. You've been looking at the way that family member's been living and say, I don't know how it's going to add up. You've been looking at your marriage saying, I don't know if it adds up. I You've been looking at your future and saying it's just not adding up. I tell you that when it doesn't add up, just put it in God's hands. Because in God's hands, everything always adds up. Every head bowed and every eye closed. What is it that you've been trying to do? and What you've been trying to manage, what you've been trying to hold on to that you need to give to God today? What, what is it in your life that, that you've been trying to figure out? Maybe it's something large like your future. Maybe it's something that others would, seem, would think is small. But whatever it is, when it doesn't add up, put it in God's hands. And let Him bless it. And then trust and see that there will be more than you can even imagine. Exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, the Word says. That's what God wants to do in your life. Exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or even think. But you got to keep it in His hands. You can't, you can't keep it in your hands and ever have it add up. You've got to give it to Him. We're going to begin to sing as they do. I think it would be good for each of us to just step out of where we are if you're comfortable with it and come around this altar just as a sign of surrender to the Lord and where you would say, God, I'm putting it in, in your hands. I'm, I'm putting my, my peace in your hands. I'm putting my joy in your hands. I, I'm putting my diagnosis in your hands. I'm putting my job insecurity in your hands. I'm putting, I'm putting my, my future in your hands. I'm giving it to you, God. Oh, God, touch us today. Stop reaching for your past experiences to try to figure it out. Put it in His hands. Quit trying to see what is in your surroundings that will do it. Let Him figure it out. 
I know it seems insignificant. I know it seems small, but put it in his hands. Let him figure it out. Hallelujah. Come on, would you reach up to him? It's still early. It's just 4 o'clock. I think we all should just have a few moments here where we turn this place into an altar and we say, God, I give it to you. I give you my anxiety. I give you my doubt. I give you my shame. I give you my pain. Hallelujah. Come on, put the calculator down and let him do the math. God, I trust in you. I depend on you. I lean on you. God, I believe that my answer is not a where, it's not a how, but it's a who. And it's you, God. So I trust you. I lean on you. I depend on you.